What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Here was Joseph chained up again, thrown down a hole in the ground again, thrown into the darkest, dankest pit again. I can imagine Joseph is sitting there with his, maybe his hands chained to a wall where he couldn't move because of the chains that were upon his wrists and maybe even on his legs. Falsely accused, I did what was right, Yahweh, and here I am again. I serve Potiphar for 11 years. I served him faithfully. I avoided temptation. I obeyed your laws. I obeyed your righteous commands, God. And here I am in a nasty prison. Well, it's interesting. Notice what it says in Genesis 39. Joseph was thrown into prison, but... Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Now, remember, I told you, right, that in most of the book of Genesis, up to the story of Joseph, God shows up in meaningful ways that you could say, hey, that is God acting. But once we hit the story of Joseph, God begins to work behind the scenes as in many ways he works today, moving in circumstances and men's hearts and women's hearts and accomplishing his will quietly behind the scene. But I just want to encourage you, but the Lord Yahweh was with Joseph but the thing is, Joseph didn't know it, right? Joseph had no clue. He didn't know the end of his story. He only saw what had happened so far. And I want to encourage you guys, you know. Some of you may be wondering, where is God at? Where is he in my story? And as human beings, we can only see one side of our story as we live it out. But as we're going to see here in Genesis 39 and 40, God is preparing Joseph to do a miraculous work to save not only his family, but to save parts of the whole world because of Joseph's faithfulness. But you know what? Joseph can't see that. He's in the middle of his story. And in the middle of his story right now, he is discouraged, and he is distraught, and he is lowered again. Man, his story must look bleak. But you know what I think, Potiphar? He's probably not really angry at Joseph. The text doesn't say his anger was kindled at Joseph. He was probably furious at his wife. Because if he truly believed that Joseph had committed adultery, 
had tried to forcibly rape his wife, he could have had Joseph killed right there. But he knew Mrs. Potiphar was lying and he was angry. And he could have had him killed right then and there. But he knew Joseph was special. And he could see that a God, this, this, this God was upon the life of Joseph because everything he touched in his household had just turned to gold. There was something special about him. And he could tell, I think, that there was something about him that he represented a God that would, he, he just wanted to be a part of maybe. Well, I think when he hauled him off to prison, I think what's interesting, I think to me, I wonder if Potiphar talked to the warden of the prison. Now, it's interesting. In the ancient Near East, there weren't a lot of prisons, okay? You were either killed for a crime or you had part of your body mutilated. Like, you know, if you stole, you might have your hand chopped off. If you um, did some other crime that was worthy of death, you'd have the death penalty. They didn't have a lot of prisons when you look at the ancient Near East historically, except for one culture that seemed to have more prisons than any of the others, and that was Egypt. Egypt had prisons. And in ancient documents, they found their prisons had two places. Barracks, where all the people who were like prisoners, but then they would let them out during the day to go work on pyramids or great projects. And then they'd come back and maybe the soldiers live there as well. And then they had what they called the place of confinement. And that was run by the warden or the chief keeper of the prison. And he took care of the prisoners that were there. And quite often, political prisoners were thrown into this place of confinement. Pharaoh felt like his life was being threatened, so he might throw family members into there or other people like that. Well, here, I think Pharaoh said, you're going to have to put Joseph in that place of confinement. But I want to tell you something, keeper of the prison. I want to tell you something, Warden. This Joseph guy, he's amazing. You should have seen what he did for me. He just caused my land to explode in terms of crops and abundance. This man, his God is with him. You've got to use this guy. Because it's interesting. It says, verse 21, but the Lord Yahweh was with him. And notice what it also says, because of his steadfast love, we get the word mercy, his merciful kindness. God loved Joseph. God loved him and said, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. Because it says that God, in his steadfast love, gave Joseph favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I think maybe Potiphar went and talked to him and said, this guy's something special. And I think Joseph does what is right, no matter the circumstances. And I bet he's discouraged and he's down. But I think he looks over, sees another prisoner weeping or in pain. And he goes over and starts talking to him. Hey, what's wrong? What's up? And the prisoner begins to tell him and, Joseph maybe I think tries to cheer him up a little and maybe he finds another prisoner who's hurt a little and he starts to help him with his wounds or his broken hand and I think the keeper of the prison this warden begins to see Joseph acting in ways that are unlike any other prisoner 
He is a person of character who does what is right. And I bet you the warden sees that. Maybe he begins to give him a title. I'm going to unchain you a couple times here. And, you know, you go over there and help that prisoner. And maybe you sweep up this cell. And, you know, he swept up the cell unchained. Didn't try to run off. Didn't fight the guards. And then he said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some more jobs. And maybe he let him out of the cell and said, all right, I want you to clean this cell, that cell. And then let's clean the whole hallway here. And Joseph diligently did it. And, you know, as he's cleaning the hallway, I can imagine he starts talking to some of the prisoners and, you know, starts singing some song of praise about Yahweh. And he's so thankful not to be chained to that wall anymore. And he starts to work. And then I can imagine the warden is saying, since you're out there, let's have you feed everybody. And so he begins to feed people in this place of confinement. And his abilities grow and his responsibilities grow and grow and grow until it says in verse 22, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And it says the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. And he didn't worry about it. Just like Potiphar, once he saw Joseph working, and once he saw this God that Joseph serves starts blessing, he says, hey, I'm going to let Joseph run with this. And once the warden of the prison, hey, I gave him little responsibilities. He does right there. I give him broader, bigger responsibilities. He probably now was in charge of whenever they had prisoners come in, new ones. He was the one who made sure that they had all their lice tests and all their medical tests and that they were put in the right prison and he had to stop fights and he had to then deal with the food and the money. And I think the warden was just sitting there with his hands behind his head, enjoying it because Man, this prison has never run better before this Joseph showed up. But notice what it says in verse 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that Joseph was in charge of. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, Yahweh, the Lord, made it succeed. Hey, I just want to bring it back again to this truth that any glory in our life, anything good in our life, I hope we give all the praise and glory to God. If you're doing well in school, if you're killing it, all these tests, all the quizzes, don't act all, hey, I'm intelligent, I'm smart, I'm brilliant. You know, I got a 28, I got a 35 on an ACT, I'm just brilliant. No, no. You got to give the glory to God. You've got to say, you know what? I am thankful for him working behind the scenes in my life. I'm thankful for him giving me the intelligence to work this out. If you're an athlete, give him the glory. You know, if you're successful at work and business and things are exploding, you have got to honor God because everything good we have comes from the Lord. And so Joseph, in the middle of his story, in the middle of his discouragement, begins to grow in responsibility. Even in the middle of a dark, dank prison, Joseph is making a difference. Remember all the way back to Abraham? I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Here again, Joseph, you're a descendant of Abraham. 
You are blessing people in one of the worst places you can imagine. Because it still wasn't good, but Joseph made the best of the situation and blessed those people, blessed his warden. How? By being excellent in everything he did. But you know what? It still wasn't a great place to be. Because it says in chapter 40, sometime after this, and that this is sometime after Joseph was put in this prison. So he served 11 years for Pharaoh, got stuck in this nasty prison. And sometime after getting shoved in this prison, probably two years, somewhere around there, he bumps into these two new prisoners who come in. And I can imagine they're thrown in there because they're part of a big political scandal. They're thrown into this place of confinement, not the barracks where they were sent out as slave labor, but probably this place of confinement where political prisoners were put. And that's where Joseph was. And I can imagine they come in and they sit there and they, they, they look a little scared and they look around and... Joseph comes up to him and says, all right, hey, here's your food. Here's your clothes. Here's your cell. You know, and they begin to see the kindness of Joseph. And well, maybe this isn't so bad, but they get thrown in there. And I can imagine maybe they're in the same cell and they start talking to each other. And maybe they hate each other. Maybe they like each other, but they're both put there because of a political scandal. Probably the two people are known in Genesis chapter 40 as the chief baker and the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh himself. The Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and the Pharaoh's chief baker were thrown into prison. Do you think this is just by chance? Do you think this is just by luck? I don't think so. Well, we're not exactly certain how long they were there. But one night, the... Chief Baker, the chief cupbearer, go to sleep. And they fall asleep and, you know, they start to snore. But then they both dream. And they both dream these wild dreams. And I can imagine they're turning in their sleep and they're like, what does this dream mean? And I'm like, oh no. And then they wake up and they're like, oh my goodness, that dream I just had. What does it mean? Again, because in the ancient Near East, they felt that God was talking through dreams. And we see in the life of Joseph, right? That God talked to him through two dreams. One where all the stocks were bowing down to him. One when all the stars were bowing down to him. Do you remember that? And so these dreams, the chief cupbearer and the baker thought, God must be talking to me. Now, they didn't believe in Yahweh. They probably worshiped the sun god Ra in Egypt. But they both dreamed the same night. Two dreams, you know. I think it's interesting that Joseph had two dreams. The cupbearer and the chief baker between them had two dreams. I think this is significant, you know. They're looking distressed and... But they didn't like their dreams at all. And it says in verse 6 that Joseph comes to them in the morning. And notice it says he saw that they were troubled. They must have been significantly scared. 
Maybe they were walking around, pacing the floor, shaking their hands. What does this mean? What does this mean? Maybe they were sweating huge drops of sweat. They were that nervous. Maybe Joseph was just kind enough to care. Hey, I can tell you're not your usual jovial self, Chief Baker. I can tell you're not your usual self, Chief Cupbearer. What's wrong? Well, what's up? What's happened? And they're like, oh my goodness. We've had dreams. We've had some scary dreams, and, and we really wish there was somebody here to interpret them to us. And Joseph says something significant. He says in verse 8, he goes, Interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Now, he doesn't say, hey, I can interpret your dream. It's implied. But right away, he says, interpretations belong to God. It's interesting to me. Joseph had not given up on God. He doesn't know how his story's going to end. He'd been 11 years slowly rising up the ranks through Potiphar's house, finally becoming a chief, chief servant, you know, the head of the household, probably living at some level of luxury. And then, bam, he's thrown into prison. But he says, don't interpretations belong to God? I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. And, and God's talked to me. I bet he's thinking in dreams before. I'm going to trust my God. I'm going to trust Yahweh. Hey, tell me this dream. Tell it to me. So the chief cupbearer begins telling him the dream. And he says, okay, listen. In my dream, there was a vine. You know, it's like a long plant with branches. You know, we have grape vines today and that sort of thing. Well, in my dream, there was this vine before me. And on this vine going up, there were three branches. And these branches then budded and blossomed forth. And these branches budded forth into grapes. Beautiful purple grapes. Oh, they looked awesome. Then I looked down and the Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And so I took the grapes off of the three branches, pressed them into the cup. And then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Now, that doesn't sound that scary a dream to me. You know, that sounds like a pretty good dream. But if you're in the middle of a political battle, if you've been thrown into prison, if your life's hanging on the line, maybe this is scary. But Joseph says, I know exactly what this dream means. I can interpret it. He says the three branches are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. That's literally what the Hebrew says. It will, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as you did in the past. You will be restored to your previous position in three days. Now, that's quite the prediction, right? He better have known that dream. But he says, in three days, you're going to be back in your old position. And then he says this, but when you're up there, cupbearer, this is why I know no matter how much power Joseph had at the prison, it still was a horrible place to be. Because he says, hey, when you're up there, cupbearer, when you're back with Pharaoh, please, please do me the kindness and mention me to Pharaoh 
and get me out of here, please. Will you mention me? I'm sure the cupbearer was like, yes. Hey, hey, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, and just goes, please, because I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And, and, and I've done nothing wrong that they should put me here. Please take me out of this. He calls it the pit. Please take me out of here. And imagine the cupbearer is like, that's a great interpretation. I hope it's true. And if it's true, yes, I'll do that. And then the chief baker, he's overhearing this. And he's like, wow, hey, hey, that's great. Maybe, maybe my dream isn't that bad. And so he goes, oh, Joseph, come over here, please, please. Listen to my dream. I also had a dream. And in fact, there were three, three cake baskets on my head. I can imagine one big one on the bottom, maybe a smaller one on that one, and then a smaller one on top, all bouncing on top of his head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of goodies, baked food for Pharaoh, awesome food. And the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. That's got to be a good dream, right, Joseph? That's got to be a good dream. Joseph says, Chief Baker, let's call him Dave. Dave, the baker. The three baskets are three days, like those three branches are three days for the cupbearer. Well, those three baskets represent three days. I think Dave's like, yes. In three days, Joseph says, in three days, Farrell will lift up your head. Yes, Dave, Dave the baker says, yes, he will lift up my head. And then Joseph adds this. He will lift up your head right off your body. I mean, that's literally what the Hebrew says. He will lift up your head from you right off your body. You're going to die in three days. He's going to lift up your head, but right off your body and then hang you on a tree. And those birds, that represents birds that are going to be eating your flesh as you're hanging there from the tree, dead. I imagine Dave the baker is like, what? And maybe he starts to cry or maybe he backs off into a corner while Chuck the chief cupbearer is dancing a dance. I don't know, but on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, of all things. So maybe the Pharaoh was thinking, you know what? I've searched this matter out. I thought the chief cupbearer and the baker were trying to kill me. But when I look at this, the cupbearer wasn't trying to kill me. It was that evil baker. And hey, I'm celebrating on my birthday. I've left him in prison for two days. I missed that cupbearer. You know, you know what a cupbearer did? A cupbearer basically ate all the Pharaoh's food before he ate it. He drank his wine. He ate his birthday cake, just a little bit of it. He ate his chicken and noodles, just a little bit of it. He ate everything the Pharaoh had just to make sure that it wasn't poisonous. And then he would stand there by his side, just an earshot of the table. And so everything that the Pharaoh talked about with his wife or with his, the other, you know, kings that would show up, the cupbearer would hear all that. This was a pretty important position. And maybe the Pharaoh's thinking, I miss my old cupbearer. Let's bring him back from prison. But then he's thinking, you know what would also make my birthday great? Let's kill that nasty baker. 
Number one, he tried to kill me, probably in some big political scandal. But number two, he's probably thinking, my birthday cakes have been a lot better since I threw that chief baker in prison. You know, the cupcakes are better. Man, he was terrible. Let's, let's just hang him. And so, just like Joseph predicted, the cupbearer was raised up to Pharaoh's second right next to him. And in three days... The baker was hung. But notice what it says in verse 23. The cupbearer, right? You'd think, yes! Wow! Here I am with the king. This is awesome. Right back where Joseph said I was. And I bet Joseph showed the cupbearer kindness in prison, took care of him. But it says in verse 23, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He didn't remember him at all. Totally forgot about him. He not only totally forgot about him, he totally forgot about him for two whole years. A long time. Now, again, we're not exactly certain how long the, the cupbearer or the, or the baker spent there in prison. Maybe it was a couple months and then they were raised up. But ultimately, we do know this. Joseph at least spent two years in this pit, no matter how much responsibility he got, he wanted to get out of this place, but he had to be there for another two years. Well, finally, after two whole years, guess what happens? Pharaoh has a dream. Man, these dreams are significant in the story, right? Well, here comes another set of dreams. This is Pharaoh himself. He's in control of the whole of Egypt. He goes to bed one night. He lays his head down and he begins to dream. And he dreams he's standing by the Nile. Now the Nile is still the main river that runs throughout Egypt. And out of the Nile, when it floods every spring, that's how they have the crops grow and most of the major navigation, the most of the ships and everything is done up and down the Nile. This is an important river. And to many Egyptians, the Nile was a god itself. Well, here he was dreaming about the Nile. The Nile River. He's standing there and looking at the Nile River when suddenly, out of the Nile River, seven cows come. Attractive and plump. Big udders, you know. Big horns if they're, you know, that type of cow. They come out and they're like full and, oh, they're healthy and maybe... Pharaoh poked a couple. Oh, they are plump. These are good-looking cows. They started to eat on the grass and to get even more plump. But then seven ugly cows, ugly and thin, the Bible says. These are nasty. Imagine zombie-like cows. And they come out of the Nile, and they stood by the other cows, Maybe they just looked at each other for a little bit. But then the zombie, nasty, ugly cows ate up the beautiful, plump, wonderful cows. Ate them all up on the bank of the Nile River there. And Pharaoh wakes up and he's like, whoa, 
Number one, it'd be scary to think of some ugly, nasty cow, but then the ugly, nasty cow eats the healthy cow? That makes no sense, but maybe the pharaoh loved cows. He probably did, and it was probably a god in their world, and it was an important part of their agriculture. And to see good, healthy cows eaten by nasty, ugly cows? That's scary, and so the pharaoh probably goes back to sleep. And it says in verse 5 that he fell asleep, but then has a second dream. Remember, these dreams come in twos. These dreams come in twos, and I think that's significant. He has a second dream. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, are growing on one stalk. Maybe he sees a whole field of wheat blowing in the wind. And he sees one stalk with seven beautiful plump grains on it. And then next to it grew another stalk. But this one was withery and nasty. And on that one grew seven withery and nasty grains. Guess what happened? The seven nasty pieces of grain they ate and swallowed up the plump and beautiful pieces of grain. Totally ate the stock next to it, which I keep thinking that would be a scary dream to me. You know, little pieces of grain with little mouth. Or was it like one big grain with one big mouth? Either way, that's just weird. Eating it. The nasty cows ate the plump cows. The nasty grain ate the good grain. So it says that the Pharaoh wakes up and he says his spirit is troubled. What does this mean? Seven good cows eaten by seven bad cows? Seven good grains eaten by seven bad grains? Oh, I got to call my wise men. And so he calls them and tells them the dream. And they're like, well, great Pharaoh, we got no clue. Nope, that is some weird dream. What did you eat? Did you have some weird pizza? Did you drink something odd there? I don't know. And the magicians in all of Egypt and all its wise men, none of them, it says, could interpret the dream. Seven good cows. Nope, I can't think of that. Maybe they, they took tea leaves, looked at, looked at the stars. Nope, I can't think of it. I, there's nothing. And the chief cupbearer, right? Remember, he's right by Pharaoh. He stands beside him, tasting all his food, hearing all his conversations. I think he comes up to Pharaoh one day and says, Hey, he finally... <laughs> thankfully remembers joseph hello took you two years chuck to remember finally chuck's like wait what am i thinking hey i remember when i was in prison please please i remember when you were angry with me and you threw me into prison well we dreamed me and this chief remember dave the chief baker yeah yeah well we dreamed and we we couldn't work out the dreams but then there was a young hebrew there who was a servant of Potiphar. Remember him? Well, he could interpret our dream. And he interpreted it, and what he said came true. I'm sorry, Pharaoh, I didn't think of this before. you got to talk to this guy named Joseph. So the Pharaoh's like, all right. 
We'll do that and go get Joseph out of prison two years after he helped the cupbearer. I can imagine Joseph's diligently working away, obeying God, doing what he's supposed to do. But again, he's in some nasty living conditions. And then I can hear he has a knock on the door. Hey, I can imagine the warden is like, I'm sorry, Joseph. He realizes his time is over. You got to go. What? Says Joseph. Servants from the Pharaoh have come to get you and they got to get you out of here right away. Pharaoh quickly brought him out of the pit. And I think it's interesting when they brought him out of the pit, they shaved him and changed his clothes. You know, you are not going to show up before the Pharaoh in a nasty beard and nasty hair because this was a nasty place to be. So Joseph didn't look his best and they put him in the finest robes and probably shaved all his hair off. So he has that nice bald look, got rid of his beard and they brought him before the Pharaoh and probably had to fall to his knees. And the Pharaoh says, Joseph, stand up, listen. I haven't been able to sleep for days because I've had a dream and, and there's no one here who can interpret it. But but my cupbearer tells me that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph, rightly honoring God, and I think in a moment of deep courage, says, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer. Now think about that. Pharaoh was a god in that Egyptian culture. The people looked to Pharaoh as a god. But Joseph stands up and says, I'm not going to interpret that dream. My god. He's talking to another person who sees himself as a god, but he's not afraid to represent his god. He says, my god will interpret it. It's not me. It's my god. You little G-God. It's essentially what he's saying. Man, that takes faith, you know? Because Pharaoh could have had him killed for blaspheming him right there, but he doesn't. And Joseph remains true to his God and says, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So then Pharaoh repeats the dream. Seven plump cows devoured by seven nasty cows. Seven fine plumps of grain devoured by seven nasty plumps of grain. What do you think, Joseph? What do you think? You know, it's interesting. Joseph didn't have to go off and, well, let me think about this, you know. Pray about it a couple days. I'm not saying that would have been bad if he had to. But again, God is with Joseph. And gives him the ability to interpret dreams. And he goes, the dreams, the two dreams you dreamed are one, actually. And God has revealed to Pharaoh what's about to happen. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he, God, is about to do. The seven good cows and the seven good ears of grain are seven good years. And you're going to get bountiful crops bountiful cattle, lots of milk, lots of meat. But then after those seven years are going to come seven years of famine. And God's shown to you, Pharaoh, what he is about to do. It's going to be great plenty for seven years, but then there will arise seven years of famine that will consume the land. 
and you're going to totally forget about the seven years of prosperity and the plenty will be unknown, it says in verse 31, in the land by reason of this famine, for it will be severe. And then Joseph adds this, and the fact that you dream too, the doubling of that means that this event, it's fixed. God's going to bring it about soon. You better do something, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, wow, what should we do? I wonder if Pharaoh's pacing back and forth. And Joseph doesn't even miss a beat. He goes, you know what you need to do? You need to do this. You need to pick, he says, a discerning and wise man. Somebody who, who's got wisdom coming out his nose. Really smart. And set him over all the land of Egypt. And then during the seven years of prosperity, you need to save about 20% of all the produce of the land. During those seven plentiful years, it says one-fifth, which comes about 20% of all the crops, of all the, again, all the cattle, all the good stuff, all the produce, and store it away. And let's build these big grain bins and, and let's store it high there and let's gather all this stuff. And again, we only need 20% so that when those seven bad years hit, we'll be prepared. And then people can come for food from the other cities in Egypt. They can come to these places where we're holding this grain and this produce. We'll ration it out to them so that people will not perish. But you've got to do it soon. You've got to start planning this out now. Think about what he has to do. If, you're going to, if you are going to save 20% of, the, of all of a country's produce, you're going to have to right away start building silos or, or buildings to contain all this grain. And that's going to take planning and that's going to take work. And Pharaoh's like, huh, you know what? I like that idea. That is a brilliant idea, Joseph. And you know what? You're the man to do it. it. says, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh's like, no, we can't. You're the man to do it, Joseph. Since God's showing you all this, you have got to be the person that is discerning and wise and able to do this. And you shall be over my house and all my people, and you're going to command them all to do. You've got to do this. In fact, I'm going to put you second in command. The only one greater than you in all of Egypt will be me. It says that Pharaoh gave him a signet ring, took it off his hand, and put it on Joseph's hand. The signet ring, that's immense power. That's like the president saying, I'm going to give you the nuclear launch codes. You have the right to hit whatever button you want to launch those nuclear. If you could think the most powerful thing you could have in any country, Pharaoh just gave that to Joseph. Because that signet ring, he would push it into wax and seal documents. It was a sign that the king had okayed this. Joseph now had this. Anything he wanted to do, he could do at this point. And then he, Pharaoh says, I'm going to honor you by also giving you a wife. Now listen, what Joseph has to do in these next seven years, he's got to plan. 
He's got to take in all these crops, 20%. He's got to decide out how to work that out of all the produce. We've got to have people who are good at accounting. We've got to have people who are good at building. We've got a plan. We've got a plan. We've got a plan. Now, what's interesting to me is here was a shepherd boy, right? Working for his dad. But for the past 11 years, what did he do? He basically did what he's supposed to do on a grand scale in Egypt on a small scale for Potiphar. He took care of all his fields. He took care of all the produce. He took care of all the money. And I think over those 11 years, God was preparing Joseph for what he was supposed to do when he was over Egypt. And Joseph was faithful in how he worked for Potiphar. And along the way, he learned skills in accounting, in budgeting, in running massive amounts of people. And God was putting in him abilities that he didn't realize years later he is going to use. Basically, when Joseph was sold into slavery, 13 years later, 13 years later, he is now the second in command in Egypt. And all that while, God is working in him, preparing him for this moment. Man, we serve an awesome God. Like I said, when Joseph was in prison, or when Joseph was working in Potiphar's house, he didn't know the rest of the story. He was right in the middle of it. And I wonder if he could have gotten discouraged and wondered, what is this all about? Man, I just want to encourage you, if you are in a situation right now where you feel like, where is God? Where is he? I don't even know what the point of me having this job is, or I don't even know what the point of me being in this particular geographical area is. Why am I here? And if it's not because of sin, then just serve. Grow where you're planted. Because you don't know what God's doing in your life. And you don't know how God is working for something coming down in the rest of your story that you don't even know. Trust God in this moment. Well, Joseph, this massive campaign, he's put in charge of it all. And it says in verse 43, he gets to ride the second chariot right behind Pharaoh. He is taken from prison and raised up to second in command and people had to bow the knee to him. And along the way, the Pharaoh gives him a wife. And from his wife, he gets two kids and things are awesome. It says in Genesis chapter 41, verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old at this point. And things are going awesome. Thing, he is at the top of the world. And then those seven famine years hit. But Joseph, because of the preparations he had made, it said that people came from all across the world to come to get the food from Egypt. It says, verse 49, And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, till he ceased to measure it. And people came from far and wide to get that food. Well, people would have to come and talk to certain officials to 
to know what was happening. I want to get grain. Where are you from? All right, you go over there. Hey, where are you from? Are you cheating? I think you've come back twice already. And they probably had certain officials they had to come to. Probably one of those officials was Joseph. And Joseph was the vizier, the governor, and people came to him in order to get grain. And one day, Joseph sits in his chair, and it's probably a hard job. You know, you got to talk to hundreds of people a day, and he split them up into different lines. And if there was any confusion as to who had to talk to who, maybe Joseph had to work this problem out. I mean, this was a, not an easy job, I don't think, but Joseph did it diligently. He's married now. By the way, he has two sons. He's the second in command. He's thinking... Man, it's amazing what God has done on my behalf. And thank you, Yahweh. Then in comes ten men. They fall to their knees. And they bow before him. Joseph looks up. And he says, That's Reuben. That's Simeon. That's my brother Levi. That's... That's Judah. These are my brothers. And Joseph begins to stand up out of the chair. And then Joseph, he begins to... Well, if you come back next week, we're going to find out what happens to Joseph. You know, and in particular, we're going to find out what happens to Joseph and his brothers. And if you want to read ahead, we're up to Genesis 42. If you want to read ahead, the story of Joseph is such an encouragement to trust God no matter what. To trust him no matter if the middle of our story makes no sense because he knows the end. And if you know the Lord is your Savior, he is working behind the scenes to accomplish things and move in people's lives that you can't even begin to understand. But the key is, if you know the Lord is your Savior. And I want to encourage you, if you have never asked Jesus to save you, you need to do it now. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you've heard me say this before, but I just want to give you that opportunity. Ask Jesus to save you. Become a follower of Yahweh's son, Jesus. Follow him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. I am the way, Jesus said. Eternal life is through him. So join us next week as we learn more about how wonderful Yahweh is in the life of Joseph. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you would like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.